Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Today we're in uh, John chapter 1, verses 43 through the end of the chapter. And uh, as we've been doing with this chronological follow, I don't know why that's a hard word for me, of uh, Jesus' life, uh, taking it kind of bit by bit in the way that as best we can tell it happened, uh, we find Jesus, he's in the middle of calling disciples. Uh, This is interesting because what we're about to follow today is you... Number one, it's about the only thing we know about Philip and Nathaniel, you know, which is kind of a funny dynamic. Um, but their conversation and what they're looking for, and Connor, you made the observation just about how this would this would certainly it would have to have an, a, a, a what do you call it, a political feel to Nathaniel, and so maybe even thinking about really looking into or, or, or contemplating rather this dynamic of how there's some correlation or some parallel between what we experience uh, in our political system. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's really interesting. It start like the passage starts off with them finding Nathaniel and be like, we found the Messiah and it's crazy. He's from uh, Nazareth and for Nathaniel and for a lot of people at the time, that idea would have just been absurd to think that uh, the Messiah, the, the Christ, the rescuer of Israel would come from such a backwater, know nothing um, village. And, and, and just, we were having a conversation before we started recording um, trying to come up with like, what would that look like? And, you know, cause it is political. So what, what would a, you know, presidential candidate for a Democrat or Republican, what would that look like in terms of um, coming from this back, you know, the opposite of where you would think that the great unifier would come from. And, and ultimately we, I mostly kind of went around in, in a circle trying to figure out what would be the perfect comparison of what this is. And the reality is in our lifetime, in my short lifetime and Jason slightly longer, but very distinguished lifetime, um, <laughs> We have seen the 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 political winds shift so much that to be able to map uh, map a comparison on is so hard in today's day and age. Just in the past thirty to forty to fifty years, so for us to fully understand what it would look like for these people um, would be incredibly difficult. And so there are some comparisons. It is political. We can have some sort of similar feelings to like not expecting the political figure of our choice to come from a certain area like there's a sense in which we can understand that but also there's a sense in which we can recognize and give dignity to this story and go the visceral feeling that these that Nathaniel would have felt at this reaction we can maybe approximate it but we also can't fully uh fully understand and give a one-to-one correlation for what it would be like for us yeah because our culture the American culture is so diversified and um there's not one big the way I think about it is when I, when I went in the army, uh, when I was in basic training, the army was Russian. And when we go shoot targets, we were shooting Ivan. But then there was the shift and Saddam Hussein became the enemy. And now we're shooting Saddam, you know, on, on our target ranges. And the, the that's used, this technique is used to solidify, you know, we all have this common enemy, you know. Well, in the United States, it it's just everybody's got a different enemy, you know, and I'm not saying there aren't collectives of people, but that shows up in politics quite a bit is I think many of us, when we go to vote, it's not that we're voting for someone. We're simply voting against the other person or the lesser two views, that kind of thing. 
Um, this would be, and, and this is the challenge for us, with Nathaniel, once you become convinced this is the guy, it's, it's almost hard for me to imagine the elation, the hope, the aspiration, the sense that, all right, okay, this is going somewhere. And all of the pictures he, and, and all of the apostles for that matter, but specifically him, all the pictures he have in his head of what victory looks like yeah. and how this pathway is going to go and thinking, I mean, is he even, is he kind of a future thinker thinking? Is he kind of a future thinker thinking, man, what's this going to be like? What's it going to mean to my kids, my grandkids, you know, this kind of thing. This is going to change everything. And and then to go from that, yeah, what you pointed out, this, I didn't expect this. This would be the last thing I'd expect mm-hmm. to this. I, I think there's a lot of interesting, I think it's a pretty seismic shift in his life. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So uh, like Jason said, we will be... Uh, in John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. And I'm going to go ahead and ask Jason to read this because, as you might be able to tell, I have had a cold. And I don't like the sound of my voice right now. So I'm risking everything just being in the same room. That's really, that's good to know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets all wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, that that sums it up right there. (laughs) So, uh, as you consider this, uh, yeah, what jumps out at you? What amazes you about this interaction? I think the amazing thing, and it'll be almost completely mirrored by what perplexes me, um, is how quickly uh, Nathaniel changes his mind um, by the words and the presence of Jesus. Um, there's, a, there's a deeper sense in, in Jesus specifically communicating something unique to Nathaniel here that maybe we fully, I, at least I don't fully have a comprehension on exactly what Jesus is getting at. But even still, um, I think about... I think about the reor. We've talked about this so often. The reorienting of what Nathaniel would expect from Messiah, and he already has this built in, this new thing, right? Like, of he's already kind of like dismissed the the idea that this Nazarene could be the Messiah, and so he has this pre built in like reason to reject Jesus when he goes to see him. He has every reason to still be skeptical, um, and he has put personal stake in the game by mocking the idea of 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 what has been presented to him. Um, and so, yeah, just the simple fact that a mind, a heart can change this quickly and this instantly. Um, like I, I know, like if you were to say, Connor, can, do you believe that God and Jesus can change hearts and minds in me? I'd be like, yeah, of course I believe that. But then when you actually think about like, when I think about modern, like where we live now and like somebody's, not that I'm saying somebody's political thoughts are are equivalent to what they believe about Jesus or don't believe about Jesus. But people hold their political thoughts just as fiercely as Nathaniel would have held his belief about what the Messiah would be. And so when I think about the strength of which people hold their political arguments um, or their political beliefs to think that in a mere incident or moment, they could shift and change 
um, and accept something almost opposite of those things. That's a staggering thing that I don't think I give the weight to what it actually is. Um, so yeah, there's so much there when I think about what what Messiah would have meant to Nathaniel and what it would have meant to his family. And like you said, thinking about, is he projecting forward and what does it look like? The vast, and again, we don't get the, like Nathaniel doesn't get the complete picture of exactly what this is going to look like, but still the vast reorientation um, and Nathaniel's quick acceptance of that is just miraculous. It is. I, I, I would, I would pay a hundred bucks to just hear them say this with their nonverbals, with their, tone of voice with yeah. all those things because it really changed the feel. How is his comment about, can anything good come from there? Like I was even questioning myself as I was reading it. Is it dripping with disgust? Is it slight shock? Is it curiosity? What, it, what is this? You know, yeah. it's one thing to think, Oh, it's, it's a bad, that's a bad part of town. That's weird. But you know, but if he had a girlfriend that he just broke up with, that was from there, it might be like angry. <laughs> or if somebody hurt his grandma at some point, that was a Nazarene. You know, it, it's like I mean, this is functionally, it's one of the isms. It's this prejudice against this area, you know, this city, and it comes from somewhere. And part of it's general, like collectively, it wasn't a great town, you know, and, and they, that historically, I believe they that. found records right of people like throwing like throwing shade at the Nazare- Nazarenes. Like I, <laughs> I feel I I could be completely making that up, but I feel like they found historical records outside of the Bible of that happening <laughs> when when I was a kid before I knew anything about race and that kind of dynamic I remember they told a lot of Polak jokes Oof. and uh, and I had no sense that related to a group of people that are Polish you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then if there's a Polish person around it would switch to a briar which apparently was a redneck I, I mean I but it's it. the exact same joke then I remember coming to Texas and they were telling Aggie jokes which is a Texas A&M and they're the same jokes they just switched the people were the Nazarene the punchline people uh-huh. of, of their community you know uh-huh. you're like where had Nathaniel <laughs> ever met a Nazarene <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly or was it just preconceived Nazarene? but that's the point even even Phillips come and see it, it's just interesting he's like come on like are they really good friends really tight And he's like Nathaniel you always say this you know or is it like Come and see, you know, he mm-hmm. makes it's interesting. He makes a um, historical appeal, you know, it's like it, the law. He doesn't name Jesus specifically in terms of rabbi and this kind of thing, whereas Nathaniel immediately goes to rabbi, which means teacher, son of God and king of Israel, which is decidedly political. That would have been very aligned him because son of God it, it, it equated him with God in, in Jewish vernacular, but then it also connects him to the lineage, you know, uh, because David was a special son of God in in, in that way. And I don't, I'm not suggesting he equates those two, but it's this idea: you're a teacher, you you have this special um, relationship with God, and you're the king of all this. So it's funny. Philip didn't say any of those things. He said, "Look, the one Moses wrote about." But Nathaniel really. So is this a friendship where Philip is a level guy? He's the guy that's going to appeal to history and these kind of things. Nathaniel is the guy that provides the passion, the relationship. Mm. And Philip's kind of rolling his eyes. He's like, oh, come and see. Yeah. You know, but it is amazing what you're observing, that that dynamic between them. But then that dynamic of him, uh, just that shift from I'm going to go ahead and project disgust to not just belief, but very specific articulated belief. Yeah. And I also, I love, we talked about, I think, the last episode about the dynamics of, of Jesus' followers here. Like, is there a point where it's like, you know, Philip wants to remind Nathaniel down there, hey, you remember, you kind of, like, you didn't buy into this whole thing. In fact, like, you know, like when, when Jesus seems to, like, look at Nathaniel with so much favor, 
did like Philip have the desire like, hey, geez, you know, he kind of like laughed at the idea that you could be uh, <laughs> like. And, and so one, I love thinking about the the relationship dynamics because something, again, we always talk about and specifically you talk about a lot. Like there has to be a reason for these specific people. And again, we don't get a whole lot of information about these people, but there had to be a reason that these people were there. And there has to be a reason for how they interact with Jesus, and how they interact with each other and how they just who they were. Um, and just, yeah, thinking about what the relationship dynamics that they would have had with each other would be incredibly fascinating. And yeah, even again, that could be incorrect, but picturing, picturing, you know, Philip as the, as the more cerebral and, and, and Nathaniel as the passion and passionate one, uh, is deeply compelling to me. Yeah, I think so. I, what, what amazes me just in addition to what you're saying is this idea and it follows that line of thinking about Jesus knowing what the people need, although there is a I guess you could say a perplexing piece. How is he saying, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Is he saying, you believe because I told you I saw you in the fig tree? It's like, you believe because I told you I saw you in a fig tree? Which I guess which would be more than a question, but the translators didn't think that. But it is that idea of assuming Jesus knows. There's a note in the NIV that says, or or do you believe? Do you be- Okay, so there's there is a note. In the, ah, so even the translators didn't know. Ah, I'm on to something. Or are you saying, Jason, it was already there. You didn't come with anything. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was saying like I, there could be manuscripts where it was different than. Uh, yes, that that's a good point. So so that dynamic of giving Philip what he needed. I mean, certainly there's something you could have done for Philip for for, uh, you know, Peter. And, and I guess Cor, it connected to Andrew, too. He healed the mother-in-law. That was one of his first introductions to Peter, mm-hmm. you know. To Andrew, he had to spend some time with, but to Nathaniel, all he had to do is make this one observation, I saw you before. And why I think that's interesting is you don't see him doing this, what would you call this, like a a time or, or seeing beyond your visual sight? Like, how did he actually see Nathaniel there? Mm-hmm. He, he knew he was there, obviously. He said it, I saw you, and he's just very specific. How did he see you? Because I'm like, how does Nathaniel know Jesus did didn't walk that way earlier. You know, I mean, there, yeah. there's something that, that holds great meaning here. And the, the point in all of this is he knew exactly what to tell Nathaniel. So then it makes me question, does he know exactly what to tell me? Like, uh, is he good. trustworthy to to lead me to the next thing? Because, yeah, this would not be – you can't imagine Jesus sitting around and he's like, all right, Andrew – Next person we see, we're going to say we saw him under a tree. And then after that, we'll say we saw a guy in a car wash. You know, I mean, it's like it's like this seems so random, but it's exactly what Nathaniel needed. Uh Well, it gets to something you've always talked about. I've had the the joy of experiencing this, too, where somebody will come up to you after speaking or they'll be like, man, I just I just received this word from God. And like, I just really felt for the God loves me. And you're like, yeah, man, God does love you. Like, no, no, God loves me. And you go, yeah, no, that's that's kind of in the whole thing. And yet there's something unique about whatever that you said or I said in a specific circumstance that specifically specifically had them reacting in that way. And so one, I think there's there's a lot of power here. And just there's two things I think are really helpful for me in this moment. It's an important reminder that one, um, Jesus did not interact with these people as like automatons. They're not our one-to-one replacement for like how Jesus would exactly react to us or have right. relationship yeah. or does have a relationship with us. And two, I think it also helps me um I lost two. There was very there was very clearly two points. Oh, it's going to be so good. Uh, I know, I was excited. I had it. I had I very rarely, rarely do I have two things ready to just rock and roll. Um <laughs> What I, I forgot oh. what the first point was. <laughs> so his name was Nathaniel. Let's name, it out. Oh, yes. <laughs> Nathaniel with an N. Uh... 
I went and read and at least in the uh, New American Standard. It it does it does ask it does have Jesus asking that as a question. In in fifty, the New American Standard translated it, translated it as this: Jesus answered and said to him, "Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, comma, do you believe?" Question mark you will see greater things than these. So there's at least some some wiggle room again, and, and it's su- super fascinating to think about. Yeah, so with that, let, let's just, assuming it is a question, you still have the tone. I, I guess what I'm thinking is, did it surprise Jesus how quickly Nathaniel believed? Then that raises the question of how much did Jesus know? I, mm-hmm. I do not disagree with your previous point about him. These are not automatons. They're not, oh, you're be, you'll be playing the role of Apostle 6, you know, Nathaniel is a specific individual that apparently necessitated a specific call, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that part Jesus got right is very individualized. It's curious to me if Jesus is surprised. Then the question is, we, we do know he's surprised twice. Like he says, I haven't seen this great faith to the to the Syrophoenician woman or the, or the, mm-hmm. the uh, centurion. You know, he's like, wow, you guys have great faith. So there's a certain amount of surprise, which which that's interesting to me, that yeah. the Son of God is survived is is surprised by the move of God. And and the surprise, of course, is not the God piece, it's them responding to God in a certain way. So I think this would be another moment where he's like, Oh, I, I have a lot more planned for you. So that's a that's a humanizing piece of Jesus for me. For you know, sure. Which I think is interesting. So what about this perplexes you? Yeah, so I think it's 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 again to what, and it gets to what you're just talking about of how well did Jesus, you know, know Nathaniel? Um, how by what by what basis and by what judgment does Jesus say here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? Um, like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Um, why isn't you know that the, there aren't a lot of I'm trying to think of other examples that we talked about last week and other times that Jesus like calls a follower, and there doesn't seem to be as like. Like I can think of specific circumstances, whether it be the, um, the 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 Roman centurion or you know circumstances where Jesus really prays people. But this seems to be fair. I, I'm just trying to think out loud, and you can correct me. This seems to be fairly unique in terms of his calling of the of the disciples. Absolutely, I, I think this is unique, maybe of his calling of anybody. Yeah, and God's calling of anybody ever. Yeah, and so that that in itself is perplexing in that like. One, I, to say that Jesus does this now is not to say that he never does this sort of thing again and we just don't have the record or we're just not recalling it. Um, but two, it does seem it does seem unique. And so is that more about Jesus? Is that more about Nathaniel? Um, was Nathaniel the kind of person that needed to hear that? Is he the kind of person that um, th- th- this sentence combined with his observation is something that helps him? So yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very perplexed by, by why this is, is here. Yeah, I, I think... I think this is so interesting, and I think it's also, I think it also applies to the individual. Like, I think there are ways that God called to you when you were 16 that are not the way he calls to you when you're 25, you know? And I I think sometimes we can uh, really get locked into being fixated on the method and how Jesus is changing. You know, this is a point that, that we've made so many times because it's just so obvious. Once you read the text and you're not simply looking for what do we teach at our church or what do we teach in our group, but you're just experiencing the text, you're like, oh, God does this different every time. And and I think that if we didn't know anything about Jesus, which is really hard to do that, suspend your knowledge of Jesus, and you just walked him through the episodes we've done so far, you would think, wow, 
this is really a, a personal Jesus, you know? It, even if, let's say, you weren't even a Christian or you had no awareness of Jesus at all, and you're, like, thinking through the lens of, oh, apparently here's a man that's that's trying to do something, and, and a man that was established, i.e. John the Baptist, has said he's better, and so they're, they're going his direction now. It's interesting how personal, how curious. It's just a really curious passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that hits me that's perplexing, uh, is is what Jesus says to him. Again, it's like of all the words you could say to somebody, he references a, a dream that um, Jacob had way, way back in like Genesis 28. And my Bible, it's like footnoted. Um, but this idea, okay, so you're going to see greater things. That's a very general, vague kind of thing. Then he says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, one question is, what does Nathaniel know about this? Like, did they have the story of Jacob down? Like, they knew, oh, this is right after you have this account of Esau, and and he's, you know, he's about to go back, you know. So what? It, and and it says to him, to Jacob, it said in the original uh, story, it said that okay, God is here, and this is special, and God's with me, and this kind of thing. Uh, so what's it saying to Nathaniel, and why did Nathaniel need this? You know, or or maybe Philip, because they're both apparently there. But it is that idea that it's so interesting that why not tell him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob is is here in human form? You know, it's it's just why doesn't he tell him? Yes, you're right. I am the Son of God. Even the declaration of Nathaniel, which you think you'd build on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where he says, "You are the Son of God." I mean, this is the declaration he's looking for. You know, he just was tempted. Uh, that, that hey, if you do this, everyone will know you. Well, here's a guy accurately saying you're the son of God. Matter of fact, you would assume if you didn't, if you didn't know the rest of the New Testament, uh, Nathaniel, man, he's going to be one of the leaders. Yeah, he's without deceit. He gets it immediately. Yes. I like, mean, he's the ideal guy. <laughs> and then poof, it's like he disappears, like you never yeah. see him again. And so it's just a perplexing setup that you have this interesting insight into, okay, he's treating him very individual, Nathaniel goes from, you know, cold to hot really fast here and declares something that Jesus wants people to know. And Jesus' response is, do you believe in me because I saw you under a tree? And then and then he's like, yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm going to show you much greater things like that. And they reference something really obscure, like, yeah. like who who is going around saying what I really want is to see the Son of Man, you know, the angels descending and ascending on Jesus. I don't know. Maybe this is just my ignorance, but it it's a fascinating thing, and I, I I basically preserved my own sanity in thinking this meant something to Nathaniel, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess my perplexion is number one, why this? Number two, what happened to Nathaniel? I mean, he seems to have the running start on all of this, and then Peter is the one that kind of takes a lead, and John and James, and so it's it's yeah. a peculiar dynamic. Yeah. One, I just echo everything you said. Two, I'm going to make a point that. Um, once it was pointed out to me, I couldn't not do it. I think we have a, I think there is a lot of biblical illiteracy in, in our day and age. And I think that's pretty much always been the case. Um, and if I were to point the finger, I'd point the finger at all of us who have ever done professional ministry. Like mm-hmm. if there's a reason that, that, that we, that a lot of people struggle with it, it's probably because, because of us. But I would simply say, I am one of those things that like, I, I think we have to be very careful when we're studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. Um, but 
one of those things that I learned very early on that I think is incredibly important and that this whole series is about is like not taking things out of context. Once it was pointed out to me that Jesus is constantly taking things from the Old Testament out of context, like I can't not miss it. Right. Um, and Jesus is making these points, and again, I think Nathaniel would have would have known exactly what Jesus is talking about when he when he's when he's doing this. But then you go on to read Genesis twenty eight, and I just really quick read through it. Like, there's not a there there's some clear things that Jesus is echoing here, but it's also not like that's not exactly what like that that like it, it, again Jesus can say it is because because he's you know he's God and like he. He might have known in that exact moment what the author was thinking in Genesis 28. Um, but it's not the clear reading of, of Genesis 28. So one, for me, that was just really compelling. When somebody first pointed out the pointed that out to me, I've always been very harsh to judge people um, in their study of the Bible when somebody, you know, puts... Yeah, I've always been the kind of person who wanted to jump uh, harshly to somebody who would put, like an athlete who would put Philippians 4.13, uh, you know, in their eye black on a, on a Saturday afternoon in college football or whatever, because I'm like, well, when... Paul says that he's not saying that you can do all things, all athletic activities. And I think that is a fair thing to say. But I also think it's important to remember here when Jesus, Jesus quoting the Old Testament all the time. Um, and it's not, he's not exegetically preaching. And I maybe will cut this out of the podcast. But I, when it was pointed out to me, it just became so, um, so, so obvious that I just couldn't help but let it affect how I go about my life and study God. Yeah. And, and another piece that's just a corollary to it. When Jesus quotes a scripture, like when when I was a kid or even in school when I'd have to quote scripture, man, you had to have every and, every the down. He rarely quotes it uh, fully, you know, and I've been taught, well, that's not an accurate quote. You know, if you if you can't remember all the conjunctions, then it's not right. But Jesus seems to have no concern over that. And, And that's the whole thing is is like this this odd interaction and what you said simply to me it amplifies how weird it is uh-huh. that why this you know and then then the question is when does Nathaniel see that yeah you even wonder like when when Nathaniel cuz like they they were they were good jewish men and so they would have a, had a good understanding of the torah and you wonder is something that Jesus is even saying here as he starts to do this goes listen like your expectations for how these things like how you guys have always read these scriptures how you guys have always interpreted them like I am coming and I'm changing your, like a lot of your base perspective and, and presuppositions of what this is all about. Um, so again, I don't think that's the main thing that Jesus is trying to communicate here, but it, you do even wonder here, like, is that something that Jesus is trying to get across even from the very beginning of like, hey, your expectations, I'm flipping them on on their head and I'm not going to fit in the box that the religious leaders have told you I'm going to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and for the listener, like, to me, what I think Jesus would say if somebody said, hey, I've seen through all the thing. I can see your deity. I know you're in charge here. I know you're God on earth. I think the, the next thing is, good, thank you. I have a plan. That's what I think. But instead, he's like, you're going to see the angels descending. And it's like, no, what? You know? Uh-huh. And and that's the thing, too. It, it goes back to that assumption. We've, we've talked about this in the past. That assumption that, if well, if Jesus was right here, I'd understand everything. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Nah. No, you wouldn't. You know, they didn't understand. Yeah. No, and I, I just, I just, I, I think that's, I think it's very compelling. And even maybe that's, maybe Jesus is trying to, and again, I'm not saying this is the case. Maybe that, maybe this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nathaniel, where Nathaniel gets, and again, we've said it 
with, with Peter when he when he declares Jesus to be um, me the Messiah. Like there's a sense in which Nathaniel, like he, Jesus, like builds him up. You're without deceit. You've got you figured it out. But also like, hey, maybe those things that you are thinking in your head, I'm going to fill check these boxes. Maybe Jesus is already slowly starting to pull him back and begin the teaching process. So like we look at this and go, okay, well, what's the point of this? Like, is somebody waiting for the you know for the dissension of uh, what of all of the uh, you know attending of the angels or whatever? Um, is that something that would have been very common? Maybe it would have. I don't I don't know. Um, but even simply in that, is Jesus already beginning to teach his disciples? Um, a lesson that he will then go on to re like reteach you know for the next two to three years. I think that 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 actually is is very sensical. I think it has meaning, but I think your point is uh, like to Jesus it had meaning uh-huh. and and it connected. Uh, I don't know if Nathaniel picked up on all the relevance, but I think you're absolutely right in that sense of everybody has a way they think everything will go. Everybody does, or else we wouldn't complain about anything ever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is already setting the tone here. Hey, you just said some big stuff. Here's some even bigger stuff. And my guess is Nathaniel's like, huh? And then next thing you know, we're going to a wedding in Cana. So that, that's kind of how that story plays out. So Awesome. Well, spoiler alert for next week. Uh, thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love.